I think it's time we started our new class project. A science project? No, it's called Rock Band. Is this a school project? Yes, and it's a requirement. And it may sound easy, but nothing could be harder. It will test your head and your mind and your brain, too. A wannabe rocker gets a job as a substitute teacher and turns his students into his new band. Listen as we chat about impressing Alan's brother-in-law, a battle of the bands that takes place in the middle of the day, and the movies that the Oscars don't really care about. Rock got no reason, rock got no rhyme. We're just finding out if School of Rock stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a rockin' episode of The Test of Time. It's me, Alan Noah, and sitting across from me is you, James Brief. Hi, everyone. I'm James Brief, and this is The Test of Time, podcast where we talk about movies, little older movies, at least 15 years old, but usually much older than that, uh, and we see if they still hold up today. You know, um, I'm really excited to talk about today's movie, School of Rock. It's uh, 20 years old. Unlike a lot of the films that we've seen lately, this is not the first time I've seen this film, and it's not the first time I've seen this film since it came out decades ago. So this is a Richard Linklater film. We've reviewed a couple of his films. We recently reviewed uh, one of his classics, uh, Days and Confused. Uh, right. Actually, that's the only one we reviewed of his, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. We'll be reviewing more of them, definitely. Right, and it was the 30th anniversary of Days and Confused, and I put this on the list because it was the 20th anniversary, and I completely forgot that it was was a Richard Link Linklater directed movie completely escaped my attention and I guess maybe I could have taken it off the list and we could have spaced it out more but no I wanted to talk about School of Rock because first off I remember seeing it in the theater 20 years ago I remember really really enjoying it I hadn't seen it since and not that long ago we talked about two movies back to back that had Jack Black in it and Jack Black did nothing funny do you remember what those two movies were um, oh, Jack Black did nothing funny. Um, oh, Enemy of, Enemy of the State. Uh-huh. And the week before that, we did The Cable Guy. And in The Cable Guy, he was just the friend, and he's helpful. And in Enemy of the State, he's just a government guy. I'm not saying he does a bad job in either of those movies. He's fine. But I think you pointed it out in one of them, both of them, I forget. But you're like, Jack Black is so funny, and how come he doesn't do anything funny in this movie? And then I was like, oh, well, I do know that uh, School of Rock has an anniversary coming up, so we'll get to see him be funny and outlandish and, you know, hyper-manic Jack Black soon enough. So I was really, really excited to see it. Okay, so you saw it in the theater when it first came out? I don't know if I saw it in the theater, but it's possible I did. But I saw it very early on, and I really liked this film when it first came out. I remember vividly seeing it in the theater with Courtney and her brother. He was visiting Courtney when she was at grad school, and we needed something to do, and we went to see this movie, and all three of us loved it. I remember us like talking about it afterwards. I'm pretty sure we went to Friendly's for ice cream afterwards, and we were talking about the movie, 
And also, even though I hadn't seen the movie in 20 years, I remembered a lot of lyrics for like the main song, like the School of Rock song, you know, rock got no reason, rock got no rhyme. And I even remember when at first the kid says, rock is the reason, rock is the rhyme. And Jack Black is like, no, no, you know, it would be better. Rock got no reason, rock got no rhyme. So all of these things were just rattling in my head for 20 years. And so that's what this podcast is great for is, you know, picking out those movies of like, oh yeah, I remember that. And then being able to watch it again with fresh eyes. Yeah, it'll be fun to revisit this film. And in case it's been 20 years, uh, 20 days, or if you've never seen this film, uh, this movie, The School of Rock, is about a hyper-enthusiastic, unemployed guitarist named Dewey Finn, played by Jack Black. After Dewey is kicked out of his band, he falls behind on rent and desperately needs work. He then impersonates his roommate, a substitute teacher, and accepts a job at a posh private school. Once there, Dewey foregoes his students' normal lesson plans and instead teaches the kids how to rock. His plan is to have these kids join him at the Battle of the Bands, figuring with their raw talent and his leadership, they'll have a chance of winning. And as Dewey teaches the kids, he learns a little something about rock and roll too. Aww. Who's the teacher and who's the student, Al? Everyone is everything? Correct. Oh, okay, good. All right, so this movie was a big hit. I feel like this was a popular hit. I know they turned it into a musical and a TV show. This had to have done well at the box office. Oh, yeah, yeah, it did very well. It opened number one on October 3rd, 2003 with $19.6 million. And it actually, in the second and third weeks, it only dropped uh, 21 and 28%. Like, people really liked this. It was a very good word of mouth. Uh, the film ended with uh, $80 million domestically, $130 million worldwide. And uh, School of Rock was the highest-grossing musical-themed comedy of all time until it was overtaken in 2015. This is a tough one. It's a sequel. Uh, Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again? No, no, that, that's very good. Um, I'll give you a hint. The original film is based on a novel written by uh, Cornelian, uh, a few years younger than us. And the movie is sort of based on Cornell, but not really. I have no idea. Um, it's because your daughter's not quite old enough to have been obsessed with it uh, a few years ago, but it's Pitch Perfect 2. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it really did have a huge acapella thing, but only the people that were in acapella were huge about it, And uh, but they were very competitive with each other. And a guy, uh, Mickey Rapson, wrote, it, wrote the novel, Pitch Perfect, uh, a few years later. Interesting. Um, but yeah, this film was a big hit. And uh, this cast is great. It's not that famous, but but it's uh, it's wonderfully talented. You've got, uh, of course, Jack Black. I mean, he, he's a huge star. But uh, Richard Linklater, he's one of these quiet hit makers. He'll make consistently profitable films. The Before Trilogy, you know, Boyhood, uh, Dazed and Confused, except for School of Rock. You're not really going to get a blockbuster from him. Um, then you got a, a really good uh, supporting cast. You've got uh, Joan Cusack. She's fantastic in this film. Um, you got Sarah Silverman, very good in this film too. Really? I feel like I don't like Sarah Silverman in this movie. And I really, really like Sarah Silverman. But in this movie, she's just shrill girlfriend. It's a two-dimensional character. 
anyone could have played this role. And again, I'm a huge Sarah Silverman fan, but I just feel like she doesn't do anything interesting in this movie. You know, that's exactly what I thought. Not that I didn't like her acting in it, but I thought that she was just a shrill character uh, uh, the first time I saw it. I've seen this film a few times, and while I still agree that she's supposed to be kind of the, the quote-unquote, the, the bad guy of some sort... She's not really that bad, though. I mean, what Dewey does is pretty bad to to his roommate. So I actually had a little bit more, not sympathy for her, but just if you don't know how sweet a character that Dewey Finn is and how, you know, he really has good intentions in the end and he's good-hearted, it's really from a really outside perspective. I I agree that it might be a little two-dimensional, but I, I, I think that her character kind of acts the way kind of a, a normal person really might act. Fair. I think she crosses the line when she calls the cops on him and sends the cops to the parent-teacher conference at the end. Correct. That That is extreme. But also, I'm not saying that the character does things that are unrealistic. I'm just saying you don't need the immensely talented and super fucking funny Sarah Silverman to play this role. I feel like you have a very, very funny person in a not funny role. And sort of like Jack Black is wasted in Enemy of the State, Sarah Silverman is kind of wasted here. I think Sarah Silverman's character is, you know, two-dimensional is is not a bad description for it. She's of an important plot device. Yeah. You're right. She goes over the top. And it's actually the probably the one critique I have of the whole film is that scene when she calls the police. But um, her character is needed, I think, as, as a base for, even for Ned to kind of revolt a little bit. I think she plays that character. I mean, if you if people have seen The Hangover, um, Ed Helms' character is, you know, the, the mean girlfriend. And yeah. kind of, uh, he dumps her at the end and gets his liberation. So that, that, that's what it's meant for. Who plays the annoying girlfriend of Ed Helms in Hangover? Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I know this is, yes. Uh, I can see her and I can see her in the other roles that she's done. That's my point. I don't know either. That's my point. You don't need to remember who it is because it's just the annoying girlfriend and that Fair character enough. is unimportant. I, I, I wouldn't say it's unimportant. I would say it's 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 two-dimensional. I, th- I think I agree with you. It's not unimportant. In that film either, Ed Helms' character does grow by, by dumping her. Sure, 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 sure. Um, also, just going back when, when you mentioned Joan Cusack, when Joan Cusack in this movie is talking about how everyone hates her and she's not fun, did that make you think of any other movie we've done on the podcast? Um, it kind of seems familiar, but uh, what was it? It's a movie that I've seen a million times, My Blue Heaven. We were joined by my sister Sam for that episode. And in that movie, she is a no-nonsense DA. And uh, Steve Martin's character like calls her out on it and says, you don't have a sense of humor. And she kind of acknowledges that she doesn't have a sense of humor. And she's very straight and narrow. And when she's talking to Jack Black in this movie, I was like, oh, yeah, kind of like My Blue Heaven where she plays a similar character. And the two of them, Jack Black and Joan Cusack, are also in High Fidelity, but I don't know that they have many or any scenes together in that movie. Hmm. Uh, of course, with John Cusack. Of course, that yes. One. I do, like, speaking of Joan Cusack's character, I really like that they don't get together in the film. While it hints at it, and apparently in the musical, they do get romantically involved, I think it works so much better that uh, they don't. I 100% agree. I saw that in the musical, They Are a Couple. And I haven't seen the musical, so I don't know. 
I could see that. I could imagine that in the musical, maybe you kind of need that, or maybe not even that you need it, but that it fits in a musical that they have this romance. But yeah, they do not need to have a romantic relationship. This movie isn't about that. If Dewey gets a girlfriend, it would have felt really tacked on. They were talking about making a sequel. It didn't end up happening. If there was a sequel and in that sequel, he gets a girlfriend, sure, neat, cool, but you do not need it in this movie. I totally, totally agree. Uh, The kids also, I think the kids are great in this film. You know, and she is the big star now, but Miranda Cosgrove, I think she's fantastic as Summer. She's a very good actress as the kind of bitchy but likable like it could have been the wrong way it could have been bitchy and you don't like her kind of like she's the overachiever but you actually do like her she her overachieving is not annoying it's uh you know she's the type a personality who's who's heading to harvard but uh she's charming in this film and i think it's a very fine line to to do i totally agree i think she is fantastic when Dewey first says to her that she's going to be a groupie. The look on her face is really, really good because she's not instantly outraged, but she's disappointed, but she doesn't know why she's disappointed, but she knows she's not happy. And it's like a lot in her face. And she's got to be, what, 10-ish years old? She is a very, very good actor. I think all of the kids are really, really good. And we have seen a lot of movies over the course of this podcast with kid actors. And it can be hit or miss. And this movie has just tons of really good kid actors. I think it is really impressive when the boy who's playing keyboards tells Dewey that he shouldn't be in the band because he's not cool. Didn't that just break your heart? I mean... It's good acting. And apparently uh, that kid in real life said something similar to Richard Linklater that he didn't think he should be in the movie because he wasn't a movie star or something. And then he was like, no, no, this is why you're perfect because you're saying it. But all of the kids are just really, really surprisingly good. It's not surprising that they're good child actors, but it's surprising that all of the child actors in this movie are exceptionally good. Also, a shout-out to uh, Miriam Hassan. She plays Tamika. She also has a really good heart-to-heart with Jack Black, and she's like, I I don't think I should be one of the singers. She she has uh, some body issues. It gives Jack Black a chance to act, really, uh, you know, or dramatically. And he's like, you know, Tamika, you know who else has a little bit of a weight problem? Me. And, uh, you know, you could tell he's he's not just saying it to be funny at this point. There's a couple parts in the the film when you really get that, oh, I kind of like kids, and And uh, I I did like that. Also, Mike White, who plays the real Ned Schneebly, uh, Dewey's roommate in this movie, he wrote this movie. Did you watch The White Lotus? No, I haven't seen it. So that show was really, really hyped up and people love it and rave about it. And it's all hyperbole. And is it really that good? Honestly, it really fucking is that good. Both seasons of that show are amazing and all of the hype and the awards and the accolades, in my humble opinion, that show deserves. And Mike White wrote that too. So he's like this very, very talented writer. You know, The White Lotus is very different from School of Rock. And I feel like now he's sort of considered this genius showrunner in Hollywood because of this hit show. 
But yeah, he's also just kind of like the the doofy roommate in School of Rock. And also, you know, good on him for writing this movie and giving himself the role of doofy roommate. I love finding that stuff out. Like, one of the cops in Reno 911 is one of the hugest screenwriters in Hollywood. Of course, Thomas Lennon. Yeah, I, I was actually talking about the uh, the guy with the dark glasses. Robert Ben Garrett, yes, his partner. Yeah, Robert Ben Garrett, who wrote that screenplay book you always talked about. Do I always talk about it? Uh, you've mentioned it a few times. How okay. to write screenplays for fun and profit. I think. Yeah, but then the fun ad is crossed off, so it says how to write screenplays for profit. Ah, right, right, right. Yes, th- those guys are great. Um, just an interesting thing, and I would recommend, if you're looking for a show to watch on Max, you've got two seasons of The White Lotus that I do very highly recommend. You know, I want to talk about the plot of this film. You do have to suspend some belief in this film. How so? This is a posh school. This is like Philip Exeter. The kids here are very privileged. He's not substituting for one day. Just the fact that there's almost no supervision on him. You have to suspend belief there. They sneak the kids out without being caught. They soundproof the room and do like loud rock and roll from the 70s. Sometimes the teacher next door could hear them and sometimes she can't. Yeah, that was very inconsistent. And it did bother me that like halfway through the movie, it's like, well, the teacher heard rock music. Like, oh, now she heard rock music? Why now? Right. I mean, it could have been at least maybe like there was a tear in the uh, soundproofing and then the teacher heard and then they fixed it. But I remember thinking that's a big plot hole that they're playing loud guitar. Oh, but they soundproofed it. That's the write around how they can play electric guitar in a, in a school. No. The entire ending of the film, I think, you really have to suspend belief that everyone is just like really cool with what this guy did. Every single one of these, uh, you know, 1% of 1% of 1%ers uh, parents, I just find it hard to believe, especially the the parents who are like, son, you will not be playing any rock and roll with your guitar. Only, uh, you know, only the classical music we give you. Well, what's unrealistic about it? I mean, he loses his job. Well, every single one of these kids seems to be enrolled, uh, uh, assuming now that the parents are all super happy with the guy that kind of kidnapped their kids. Imagine some teacher walked into that classroom and 20 kids are gone. This is a big deal. Uh, When Sarah Silverman's character calls the police, yeah, Dewey's there, he's kind of caught, and then it's just a, a, a jump cut to Dewey running down the hall. Like, did Sarah Silverman call the police or did she call campus security? Because if that was the police and this guy says there was something weird going on with children, I mean, at the very least, this guy can't just run away. One, smash cut, not jump cut. Two, I get what you're saying. Another very unrealistic thing about that scene is the kids are there for parent-teacher conferences. Kids are never there. I mean, my kids go to public school, maybe at a posh private school, it's different, but that's a very, very weird thing. One thing that was very realistic about that scene was when the parents are outraged and they're like, how could this happen? I mean, you would have to think that even for a substitute teacher at a posh private school or a public school or any school, there would be a fucking background check. I mean, that's not a terribly hard thing to do. And yeah, I guess you need someone to fill in right away. And Joan Cusack says that uh, Mr. Schneebly came highly recommended from a friend at another school. So neat, but you would think there would still need to be some documentation. Um, I actually don't think that's necessarily a a plot hole because I assume they did background check and someone said, 
oh yeah, Ned is great. They didn't say, Ned, the really thin guy is, is great. Yeah, I think they would have said, oh, he's, yeah, he, he's fantastic. He knows exactly what he's doing. I don't think so. If I'm going to pick my daughter up from school and usually she takes the bus, I need to fill out paperwork. There needs to be a paper trail. I have to believe that in 2003, you have a substitute teacher coming in and he's highly recommended. You got to fax something. Something's got to be there on With paper. This picture? I would think so. I don't think in 2003. What are you going to print it on? What are you going to... Like, the like, fax machine. That's what a fax machine does. You're going to print a photo in black and white. Uh, I, I mean, I see where you're going, but I do not think it's ridiculous that they didn't know what this guy looked like in 2003. Today, they would have done a very simple uh, social media check. Let's make sure this guy is not friends with, uh, you know, the far-right uh, European uh, neo-Nazi group or something. Eh, 2003. No, no MySpace. No, uh, he doesn't have anything like that. I guess. I don't know. But then when Joan Cusack is like, interesting fact, all of the kids are gone. We don't know where any of your children are. And then they all start screaming. I thought that was a funny gag. Although, to your point, yes, then you do have to kind of suspend belief. And then they go to the club and they're like, our children have been kidnapped. And the guy at the door is like, well, you got to buy a ticket anyway. Like, yeah, I get it for the comedy that works. But also, if there's a million parents screaming that their kids have been kidnapped, you're gonna not force them to buy a ticket. I don't know. I mean, some guy's saying my kid's in there. I, I don't think I don't think it was as convincing enough. I think if they were with police, maybe. But I think they're like, my kid's in there. You gotta let me in. Yeah, fuck you. Get a, get a ticket, buddy. The only unrealistic thing is I think Joan Cusack would have said, okay, I'm gonna go get 40 tickets for us. And she would have been like, please, please, let me buy 40 tickets. I'll do it on the school credit card. Please don't uh, sue us that bad. Uh, but yeah, I don't think they all went online and bought 40 tickets individually. Also unrealistic, why is this Battle of the Bands in the middle of the day? That's a great question. I did not think of that at all. I mean, the answer is because it needs to be a school field trip for the movie, but I would think a Battle of the Bands would be at night and there would be alcohol and it would be a rock show. That just makes more sense, right, than doing it at 1 p.m.? Does this movie take place in California? Um, I don't think they ever say where it takes place. Because if it's California, you could say, oh, we're airing it. At, uh, it's got to take place at 4 because it's airing at 7 o'clock or something like that. You're right. They could have had one line of the places booked every night for the next week. We're having it in the afternoon. A one-liner. Hey, uh, how come it's in the afternoon? I have like Steely Dan's in town. They could have said anything. <laughs> you know? Oh, Steely Dan's in town. Uh, you can't play it. Every venue is uh, sold out. You know, it could have been anything, but you're right. Uh, in, the, in the daytime, that's weird because who's ready to rock at 1 p.m.? <laughs> On a Tuesday. Right. Not a big deal, and you're probably just not supposed to think about it. But, yeah, it crossed my mind. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but Jack Black is famous for being an actor. And he's almost famous, but he's not almost famous. He's also famous for being a musician. Oh, yeah. He is uh, one half of the band Tenacious D yes. uh, with Kyle Gass. Their entire album is a uh, discography film. What do you call it? A songbook, I guess. Their albums, their discography. Their albums is basically a lot of these, uh, like, the, the ancient Lord of Rock. Whatever what, what that song that he's singing. Tribute? 
Yeah, tribute, yes. Obviously, this is a rehearsed song, but it sounds like it's made up on the spot, which is kind of what Jack Black does a lot of times with it, just making up uh, guitar riffs on talk shows and stuff. It's just so funny how Jack Black did not write this film, but it almost feels like, oh, co-written by Jack Black. How could he not have written all these songs? I think he co-wrote some of them with Mike White, but yeah, like this song about math is great and we love numbers, it feels just made up and improvised even though, of course, it wasn't. But yeah, it, it has that sort of improvisational feel. Are, are you a big Tenacious D fan, by the way? I like them. Um, I, I, I'm not going to admit that I'm a huge fan because uh, I think it's kind of cool to say you're a huge fan. I like their stuff. I, I, I do what I've heard of it. I can't listen to them for like a two-hour road trip kind of thing, but um, I think they're a lot of fun. Well, Friend of the show, member of the Five Timers Club, Dom Monfrey, has asked to come on to do the Tenacious D movie, Pick of Destiny. Dom, you're welcome anytime. You know we love you. Um, I remember when I worked at NBC, a friend of mine told me about the Tenacious D album, the first album. He was like, you have to get the CD. You have to listen to it. And I remember driving on Long Island, listening to that album, and stopping the CD because I was worried that I was going to get into a car accident. I was laughing so goddamn hard. I was genuinely afraid that I was going to crash my car. It's that fucking funny. I would say it's funny. It's also fun music. It's just kind of fun because they're surprisingly talented. You would think it's more of like, ah, you know, fucking around. But these guys are actually really good. Yes, they are very talented musicians. Yes, it is very fun. It's also incredibly sexual. So it is funny that he is in this very family-friendly movie. Also, the Super Mario Brothers movie, Peaches, that is Jack Black doing a family-friendly song, but it also just kind of has that sort of improvisational feel, like we're talking about, where it just kind of seems like it's stream of consciousness, even though, of course, it isn't. And yes, he's a very, very, very talented musician. And I think prior to this movie coming out, people didn't really know him as a great actor. Not a ton of people were really into Tenacious D. I mean, it had the band had its fans. There were shorts on HBO. I don't know if you ever watched any of those. I did, I did. Yeah, but it's one of those, they were like five-minute shorts. When like a yes. movie ended at 8.53, yep. and they mm-hmm. needed a couple minutes there. Interstitials, yes. And they were very, very, very fucking good. But like this brought Jack Black, I think, really into the mainstream, and people were really surprised by his talent as an actor, as a musician, as a singer, maybe not as a guitar player in this movie. I'm, well, I maybe. He, he has a couple of solos. And speaking of music, the soundtrack for this movie is phenomenal. We were just talking about Dazed and Confused and that movie's amazing soundtrack. This is the movie where Richard Linklater finally got Led Zeppelin to approve of their music. And It's just really fucking funny that he couldn't get the clearance for Dazed and Confused, the song in his movie, Dazed and Confused, but he got the approval for Immigrant Song, which is in about seven seconds of this movie and is in no way connected to the plot or anything. It's done in the right part, though, because it's Immigrant Song, which is, uh, uh, here's a clip of Immigrant Song. (laughs) 
I was actually going more for the guitar riff. I come from the land of the ice and so it would have been the I told you I saw this movie in the theater with Courtney and her brother. And, you know, Courtney and I were not married then. We were just boyfriend, girlfriend. And I really wanted to impress her brother. And he asked what that song was like after the movie when we were having ice cream at Friendly's. And I was like, oh, that is Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. And I don't really know that he was impressed, but I really wanted to impress him with my knowledge of Led Zeppelin. I don't know. I, I doubt it really impressed him, but it, it was worth a shot, I guess. I also think that Jack Black has some really, really funny throwaway lines in this movie when uh, he's talking with Joan Cusack and they're having beers and he's really trying to sound like a very profound and serious teacher. And he says that Horace Green, which is the name of the school, is the best school I've ever teached at. It's there and it's gone. It just makes me laugh that, you know, of course he should know that it would be taught. Um, We were talking about the other teacher who hears the music. He's like, oh, well, the only logical explanation, she must be on crack. You know, and then he just kind of like moves on. It's like, that's a pretty inappropriate thing for him to say. One thing that did kind of get me is when they're at the auditions and the kids decide that they're going to pretend to be sick and they're all dying. And the judge is like, oh, what do they have? And he comes up with on the spot, stick it to the maniosis because he was talking about sticking it to the man before. It's like, that's kind of a stretch. The thing you would say, the first thing that would pop into your head is cancer. But you don't want to say that in a kid's movie that all of these kids have cancer. It's probably best for the movie that he made up of a fake disease. But that's not the first thing that would pop into your mind, right? Not necessarily the, the first one. But he did kind of put the accent. It wasn't like stick it to the man, Yosis. It was like stick tomato man, Yosis. It was... It was okay. It was a little groany, but, uh, you know, it worked. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the same, like, you know, it's a line that I didn't think was as funny, but I get why they put it in. It's the one at the end when he's trying to, when he's coming clean to the parents. He's like, your kids touched me, and I'm sure I touched them too. I get it, I get it, but, uh, (laughs) and that's the smash cut to him running down the hallway. Exactly, exactly. But uh, I think his small things are way funnier. Um, Even just him kind of pointing to people and just going, all right, you, brace face. You, fancy pants. You. And it just, you know, making up the names on the spot. I I just think, whether it's scripted or improv, I I just think they're hysterical. I did read that those were improv, that he nicknamed the characters on the spot, on the fly, and that some of those nicknames really stuck. And I buy that. I totally, totally buy that. Uh, going back to the whole stick it to the man thing, when he's complaining about the man and he says that MTV ruined rock and roll and MTV, you know, like they're the man. This movie was distributed by Paramount, owner of Viacom, owner of MTV Networks. And I think Mike White didn't know that at first and was like, oops, I guess we're going to have to cut that line. But everyone at MTV and Paramount was fine with it. They didn't really care which I guess is pretty rock and roll of them. You know, I think by 2003, I don't think there was any music on MTV. I think it was maybe TRL was still on for a little bit. 
Yeah. But uh, the boy band era was the last part when MTV was about, you know, that, that TRL, Carson Daly, Limp Biscuit, and, you know, all those guys. I think that was the last time it was really a popular thing. So I think Paramount was, I think, happy that people are talking about MTV, at least. Yeah, that's probably fair. You know, these days, once a year, there'll be like the MTV Video Music Awards because uh, something happens at them and you're always like, oh, they, they still do that. Oh, right. Okay. You know, because it's, it's almost fake because the television channel is all ridiculousness 24 hours a day, yet they still have, I don't do they still have the movie awards? I, I have no idea. This movie was uh, actually nominated for, uh, uh, it, it won the MTV Movie Award for Best Comedic Performance. For Jack Black? Uh, I, I believe so. It could have been uh, ensemble. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, and I know that Jack Black was nominated for the Golden Globe that went to Bill Murray for the other 2003 movie we talked about recently, Lost in Translation. That's right. Yep. Which I'm okay with because I love Bill Murray and I'm glad that Jack Black was nominated. It does seem like if Jack Black was going to get nominated for this movie, it would be for an MTV award or a Golden Globe and not an Oscar. I agree with you and that's complete bullshit. But, James, let me ask you about School of Rock as a whole. Do you think that the movie stands the test of time? Absolutely. This is a fantastic film. Not a perfect film, but it's a fantastic film. And, you know, I mentioned the MTV Movie Awards earlier, and I remember the MTV Movie Awards when we were younger had uh, had this thing where they eliminated Best Actor and Best Actress. And you know, personally, I think they were trying to be a little provocative. But uh, I remember the time thinking about it. At first thinking, oh, well, why are they separating them? But then thinking acting judgments are, are, are such bullshit. They, they really are. I, I don't mean acting judgment as in a critic and saying, oh, De Niro was wonderful in this film. Or, you know, Meryl Streep does it again. I'm talking about the competition part about it. Mm-hmm. We reviewed one of the funniest films, in my opinion, one of the funniest films ever made, uh, The Naked Gun, colon, from the files of Police Squad, and exclamation point, I I was looking at you, do I have to include it? Yes, Yes, I do. Yes, you do. And, uh, you know, I remember saying at the time, why the hell was Leslie Nielsen not nominated for, for Best Actor? This was perfect acting, and I don't think there's an actor alive that could have done that role as well as he did. And I was watching this film and just thinking over and over, what a perfect performance. I mean, Jack Black's always fun, but I wouldn't say Shallow Hal was, was you know, award-winning performance or even Tenacious D. I don't think anything he did, you know, really moved me or anything like that. But, but that's actually the point, moving you. That's what wins the Oscars. Because how do you compare Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver to Leslie Nielsen in The Naked Gun? You can't. They're completely ridiculous things to compare. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have acting awards. I just think it's kind of bullshit. And I think that the Oscars tend to favor drama, which is why comedies are never nominated. Uh, comic books, they they threw one to uh, Dark Knight and uh, Black Panther. But, uh, you know, there's certain genres they like I kept watching this thinking it's a shame this is almost even best picture worthy I think because just because it, it's a perfect comedy it shouldn't have won best picture uh, but this film is so well done it's funny it's well acted it's not too long either it's tight there's a couple things I talked about the little plot holes you suspend belief and it's fine my only problem with this film uh, is that it doesn't get almost as much awards as it should have gotten Bill Murray in Lost in Translation he was great in that film. I can't 
begin to compare those two. They're not things you could stack up against each other. Ashton Kutcher plays uh, Steve Jobs, and then uh, Michael Fassbender plays Steve Jobs. Okay, still different scripts and directors. You could at least compare those. Who captured the man better? But I think it's ridiculous to do it, and I think he did a perfect job in this film. I mean, I think in general a competition where everything is subjective is going to be like that. Talk about an apples to oranges comparison. If there's a race, the person who gets to the finish line first, they win the race and it's objective. But when it's opinion-based like the Oscars, yeah, it's just going to be comparing completely different things and they're all good. So how do you determine which is best? Uh. Uh, Yeah, but again, I still think my problem is not that subjective awards are are by definition subjective it's just that the oscars doesn't seem to care about any of these films and that that's that's just what makes it uh you know unappealing to me i i'm only praising this film i think it's so well done and richard linklater he's got nominated i think for boyhood but uh you know he, he's such a good director he should be he should be uh, more award winning than he is it, it's a fantastic film this is one of those films that if someone were to say I hated that film, I would really want to know why. The only reason I could see them hating this film is because you just are really turned off by Jack Black, which is possible, I could see. It's a little too hyper, but I think it's such a charming film. You know, it's my cousin Vinny-like. It's just such a really kind of universally likable film. So well done. Stands the test of time. What do you think, Al? Oh, I definitely agree. I think that this movie is sweet. It's charming. I didn't go to see the musical and I believe the the Broadway run has ended but like I would have I mean that's something I'm sure I would enjoy the kids would enjoy I agree with you what's what is there not to like about this movie nothing you know there's an appreciation for music and Jack Black really does appreciate music and so does Richard Linklater and that comes through the main song uh, which I believe is called School of Rock in parentheses Teacher's Pet depending on you know which version of it is that's a really good song it's really fucking catchy here's a little clip of uh the school's out song it's really good and i think it was performed by the kids The one that Dewey writes about, you gotta live hardcore, you gotta be hardcore, and the rent is hardcore. Like, that one's stupid, but it's supposed to be stupid. So it kind of works that then they do the the better song. It all gels, it clicks. It's a slightly emotionally kind of inspiring, sweet story, but it's not sappy. It could have gone over the top. And when, when you have a movie with kids... That is a danger. You can very, very easily veer into the over-the-top, sentimental, sappy shit. This movie doesn't do that. And I respect that it doesn't. It is just sweet enough. You like the kids enough. They are cute. You're really rooting for Dewey. He's a dumbass, but he does have good intentions. Jack Black is immensely talented. The kids are immensely talented. Richard Linklater, Mike White... Everybody in this movie is doing an amazing job. I I do love Joan Cusack, too. I think she's great. All of it. It all works. Yes, of course, this movie stands the test of time. And 
If there are any listeners out there who do not like this movie, please write to us at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, X, Instagram, wherever. And I'm not just saying that because like, you know, ooh, I'm looking for engagement and clicks, blah, 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 blah. No, no, I genuinely want to know why you don't like it. And you're entitled to your opinion and that's fine. Please articulate it. If, if you want to write an email, the test of time podcast at gmail.com. If it won't fit in a, a short social media thing, I would genuinely like to know because that would kind of blow my mind too if there are people out there who don't like it. Yeah, and you know, sometimes you see a movie and you just uh, see an actor and you go, wow, a star is born. And when you see this film, I mean, he just blew up after this. He gets the lead in Peter Jackson's follow-up to The Lord of the Rings. He's the lead in King Kong. He winds up getting huge. A couple of years later, he does the Tropic Thunder and Kung Fu Panda was huge for him. I'm very happy for his success. He's, he's done very well. I have heard that Jack Black is a very nice guy in real life, too. And even just with, if you saw him doing like the press for um, Super Mario Brothers, he seemed to really enjoy it. And he really got a kick out of being Bowser and everything. He, he seems like a good dude. You know a good guy is a good dude. Now, I'll say this as a pediatrician. He takes care of these kids. I did see that uh, in 2010, he was in an episode of iCarly, which I think is adorable. He doesn't need to be in iCarly. That's a Miranda Cosgrove's show. Sure. Like, good for him. That's so much fun. I love when people do that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm glad you said that because I, I didn't know which way you were going to go. I thought you were going to say, I've heard he's actually a jerk. Oh, I was no. like, no. But uh, good. Good on him. Yes. Yes. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to kick off a trilogy of spooktacular movies for Halloween season. We're going to be doing a scary movie from the 90s, then the 80s, then the 70s. We're starting with 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer with our friend Mike Kahn. He's coming back on the show. That'll be a good time and a good way to kick off spooky season. No, I'm going to call it Spooktober. Okay, that works. Sure. Um, boo... Boo-tober? No. October. Oh, yeah, that one works too. Sure. That will be a good time to make sure you don't miss that episode. You should like, you should follow, you should subscribe, whatever. If you're on Apple Podcasts or wherever, if they let you write a review, write a review. Five stars. That seems like the right number of stars to me. I wouldn't think we would get any less than five stars. That would be ridiculous. And, of course, follow us on Facebook, X, Instagram, Threads. We are at Pod, And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.